0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details
1: I'm Vicky Fleetwood and you're listening to
2: the Mallover Rugby Podcast Uh, Hello uh, and welcome to this week's Mallover Podcast The only rugby podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action all with a West Country accent Find us on Twitter, we are at Mollover Podcast, and you can find all of our content on the Sports Podcast Network. Uh, this week, um, as we head into a, another fallow week of the Six Nations, I am joined by uh, nicest man in Cornish rugby podcast, Ben Eustace. How are you doing, Ben? Hello. And uh, everyone's, well, not everyone's favourite, the housewife's favourite, certainly. Uh, Phil favet Phil Elkins, how are you doing, mate?
0: Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Um, good. If there's any delay or background noise, it's because my idiot children have decided half eight's the right time to make pancakes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm muting myself as much as possible.
2: Love it. I wouldn't worry about it, mate. We have lots of background noise in general. Um, so where where are we in in relation to the Six Nations? We're uh, we're three games deep. We've had a we've had the the first follow week. Then we we were back because it. I mean, it feels like two week, like two weeks ago is when I went to to Twickenham with Samuel for the Italy game, which we didn't actually reconvene afterwards. Um, that was a good day out. Kid was absolutely buzzing from six o'clock in the morning till approximately half past six when we finally started to get moving outside of Twickenham. And uh, by the time we reached the motorway, he was asleep, and that was it. Absolute crash
1: but, the the uh, Haskell set take out of him.
2: Oh I mean, if there was a bigger waste of time throughout that entire day, um I don't know what it was. Uh we spent a bit of time, you know, um when you watch the coach come in, have you seen the coach come down the, you know, the the approach, the way when it gets to the gates and all the players get off and everyone's there waiting and taking photographs and stuff of the coach. So uh we're waiting, we stood there for, you know, about half, yeah, half an hour. There's loads of um, kind ladies wandering around with sort of large shot glasses of free Guinness Zero, which I'm not going to lie, isn't the most horrific thing I've ever tasted. Um, and as I was driving, I made full use of Guinness Zero just to get into the spirit. Um, anyway, so we waited there for about 20 minutes or so. Um, thinking, oh, the, the coach will be here in a minute, and everyone's starting to line up and think, oh, this is this is great. And Sam goes, Oh, um, I need a wee. I says, all right, no problem, mate. Let's go for a wee. Can you guess what happened next? They all came in, they all came in right I, at the point he was having a wee.
1: Not until the arrival, ready, so. I'm assuming,
2: just missed it all. He missed, yeah. missed the whole coach arrival, it all got off like they were all by the time we got back. Like the streets were were empty, and everyone was sort of crowded around the back of the bus with their phones in the air, trying to take photographs of the guys getting the bags off the coach.
0: You should have gotten to have a piss on the wheels of the coach. Well,
2: wow. yeah.
0: Um, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that he got in the car and then crashed, and not he got in the car and then you crashed because that would have been <laughs> yeah. a whole different journey back. <laughs> yeah,
2: Samuel, so you're, you're driving. Yeah, that wouldn't have been ideal, but um, it was. It was a great day out. Twickenham, there was a decent, decent enough atmosphere, lots of drunk people. And I, and I know um, that was highlighted previously and I'm not complaining about it because, you know, I'm I'm fully aware of what goes on and I'm, I'm not, you know, not too bothered by it. But there were lots of drunk people. There was a guy sat almost directly behind us that, that every time he got up to either go to the bar or go to the toilet nearly fell on top of us because he was that drunk.
0: I do Is it think worse it... worse than normal? Because I haven't been uh... for a few years and there's always been there's always been alcohol around, yeah, but yeah. like most, most people in fairly good control of themselves and the odd fool who's taken it too far.
1: That's that's pretty much what that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. I, I do think like it wouldn't do any harm to close the bar during the game. During the game I think would, would make the most sense.
2: Like yeah. open it open it for fi- you know
1: half time and then open it before, again. Yeah. Five minutes after the game, I don't think it'd do any harm.
0: It's enough of a bun fight to get beer at half-time. You've got to yourself a five-minute window yeah. in the middle yeah. of the game. There's a penalty or a head injury or something. You're like, right, I'm going to go and get a pint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mo- most people have had, what, four, five, before they've even got into the ground. So, yeah. you know, a break during the game probably does everyone a good world of good.
2: Yeah. And, and if there's a stadium that's more awkward to get away from, than tweaking
1: them, it,
2: honestly, we did a um a just park outside the exclusion zone. I mean, this is this is boring for the listening public, but you know, <laughs> we did a just park outside outside of like the the cordoned off exclusion zone, and it was just gridlock. And every every way we turned, every every way that I tried to go, and it, it, even to the point where I went north to try and get to Hounslow and get on the M four. And it it just wasn't having it at all. It's just a nightmare.
0: This is Pete Partridge chat. This Pete is. Partridge. Yeah.
2: Anyway, just let's talk that. Let's talk about some. Let's talk about some rugby. Um, since England lost to Scotland in that opening game, obviously they've beaten Italy and they've beaten Wales now, and it, and it's got me thinking that you know, barring barring a couple of say individual errors um England could legitimately be 3 3 for 3 in this in this tournament i mean they're not but they could be they weren't horrific against scotland were they there there was some horrific bits that we already talked about but they could legitimately be 3 from 3 um going into italy and, and fr- uh, going into france and and an ireland um since that first game ben how have what have you made of the the changes because obviously you know the smith was was put on the bench and um willis has come back in for for both games um, yeah
1: well i think the this the farrell move was the move we all wanted in one way or another of at least putting a 10 in and i think it's definitely worked because lawrence has looked good and the, the shape of the teams look better um I think Willis is just an upgrade over Ben Curry. So, you know, that makes sense. Uh, but England just looked like a team with a new manager who've had three extra weeks. I think there were little bits against Scotland where it looked like, you know, they were they starting to look okay. And I think they at least look like they know each other now, which under Eddie Jones, they didn't always look like they did. Um, and I think with... Um, you know there was a lot of issues with the defense in the first game but it got better in the second game and it was much better against Wales although Wales didn't offer a lot did they but you know I think three weeks being it slightly intimidated by Kevin Sinfield has probably done them the world of good I mean you know for all Wales limitations we were we were pushing them back 15 20 meters in some of the defensive sets so you can't really complain about that um but, you know, I think England do look better. They're not the finished article yet. We'll be arguing about the fly half situation for at least the next 12 months, I'm sure. Um, but at least it looks like a rugby team with a plan. You've got a focal point in the centres. You've got a couple of um, distributors. You've got a back row with sort of clearly defined roles. And I think we have found our second row partnership for the future now. Cool, Phil.
0: Yeah, it's it's really hard to overcomplicate this. <laughs> Basically, they're playing players in the positions they should be playing. They've got a hard runner outside a ten that provides an option and commits defenses. Um, they've got a ten who's taking the ball to the line and making decisions, and they're they're progressing. But it's all based on fairly simple kind of rugby coaching principles. Um and this has been the frustrating thing about the the history of England rugby over the last five years is they' they've just gone away from stuff that I mean Christ most under fifteens coaches would know if you've got a big bloke running outside your ten he commits Defenders and allows other people to do stuff um and I don't know I've on our uh, there's there's obviously quite a big difference in opinion the the big talking point after the Wales games Farrell so Excepting the fact that his kicking is awful and he shouldn't be kicking when you've either got Slade or Smith on the pitch. I thought for the first 30, 35 minutes of the Wales game, he was excellent. And I thought for the last 15, 20, he was very good as well. And first half of the second half, he, he reverted back to the old, if we don't make progress in the first phase, we're going to box kick it or kick it for for territory and kind of went into his shell a little bit, which I've got to think must have been guided a bit by Borthwick saying, Let's just take a bit of control. Well, um, bear
2: bear in mind. But... Sorry to sorry to interrupt there, but bear in mind the the first thing that happened in that second half was that the Reesamet interception try, and I know that wasn't his fault specifically. Um, England that you know, for for a little period that did sort of shell shock England a little bit, didn't it? They were they weren't quite sure what quite sure what to do. So they did go into it a little bit more of a reserve reserve mode.
1: Yeah. But they, they kind of came straight back and scored, didn't they? And then, yeah, they, then went into their shell and it was like, okay, well we're, we're back at square one now. And, you know, but, and even,
0: even the intercept came off a desire to get the ball wide fairly early on in the phases, which they, they had no intention of doing against, against Scotland. Um, but, like it's been a chat within our group. Of, oh, so what did he do? He he tackled hard. Well, actually, yes. Farrell's defense was as good as I've seen for, from a ten for a long time. He put in some really good, hard, strong tackles. Turned the ball over four times. Um, but the difference was he was taking the ball to the line and then making really good, well-timed passes. That if it was Marcus Smith doing that, people would be absolutely raving about. Like the the inside ball for Malins for the first. Like the timing on it was was absolutely exceptional. Yes, it was a, a set play, but it still needs to be delivered on. Uh, about 15 minutes from the end, he put in a flat pass to flat miss pass to Slade, right across the front of the Welsh defenders, that just absolutely opened them up. And Slade then made the wrong decision and, and went to kick for the corner. But there were things that you haven't seen from Farrell for five, six, seven, eight years, where just a freedom to take the ball to the line and then make a decision. Um, and yeah, it helps having Lawrence there, and it also helps having forwards that are not at the bottom of a ruck because they've overcommitted to it.
2: But then that's been a crit a small criticism of Farrell, hasn't it? To being too committed in that area. And I think he made three. Well, he definitely he made seven, something like 17 tackles in the game. And um at least one very good turnover, um, but is that what you is that what you want your ten? But he was to he do? was
0: involved in four turnovers, so he made yeah. one turnover himself. Um, I think he got awarded a penalty for holding on. He held up Tompkins at the end, and then there was another one as well. But do do you want your ten to get stuck in in D? Yeah, definitely, because that's where the tackles come. The tackles. And the turnovers are not coming when we've got the ball, when you want him controlling stuff. They're coming in defence. And actually, in attack, it was only in that 20 minutes in the second half where I thought he he carried into contact when it was the wrong option. He should have looked for someone else to do that work for him. In the first half, he wasn't doing that. He was taking the ball to the line and then giving it to Lawrence or to Genj or or whoever.
2: And
1: I'm okay with that. Go on, Ben, sorry. I, I was going to just agree with Phil, really. He definitely over overused the kick for probably, I don't know, 30 minutes. And, and it was it was quite frustrating. And uh, much as I thought he played well, I think we do need to just have Smith make a run at some stage, you know, with, with the stabilizers off, you know, without Farrell. Um, but, where, you know, whether that is uh, in the friendlies before the World Cup or if, um, if it's in the Six Nations, I don't know. I, d- I doubt it'll be in the Six Nations. While they keep winning, <laughs> so if they if they do somehow beat France, which is a possibility at home, um, then I think it will just stay as it is. But um, you know, I don't know if we want to get into him being sent home to his club for for the next training um oh, we'll we'll, up, we'll but, let we'll let,
2: Phil, we'll let Phil come in on his point and then maybe we'll um, yeah. Yeah. chat about that briefly.
1: Yeah, so I just yeah,
0: I just wanted to say there was a lot of talk about the, the substitutions or the lack of use of substitutions on Saturday. Now, for me, I think if England were 20 points up after 50 60 minutes, I think he brings Smith on potentially for Farrell and gives him a run. A the run. problem was, was we were close. playing we were playing pretty well. We were certainly dominating Wales, and the scoreline wasn't reflecting that. Now, if you make a change, it could it could all go belly up. And the same thing with Arundel not bringing him on. The back three I thought played really well. You've got a back three who are playing well. Do you want to change that when you're only whatever it was ten points ahead? Probably not.
2: Well, we we weren't even we weren't even ten points ahead. Were no. we? no, you're right. Yeah, we were we were three
1: five,
0: three points ahead, three
1: points up, five um, points up, five points. Yeah. Talk, talking of substitutions, the one that really did work was bringing Mitchell on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, he's impressed think, me. The two games he's, he's come off the bench, he's really... I,
1: I thought Van Portfleet had one of his better games for England and I thought he was another one that defended really well. He put um, put four or five like open field tackles that you thought were Farrell, but it was him. Um, but he he kind of went the same way as Farrell and he kind of went back to chipping and, and taking too long. And I thought when Mitchell came on, like I, I was watching the game with... Um, with monkey dave hornets legend and scrum half and he straight away yeah he straight away (laughs) uh straight away was like oh he's got a lovely pass so you know and i think that's the the first sort of thing you look for in a number nine even now is is quality of service And and it just it just sped up as soon as he came on and part of that's probably wales tiring but I thought he looked. I thought he looked really good. So, so yeah, and I'd agree with that. And I've seen. I've seen some criticisms,
2: right? So I've seen criticisms of Farrell, um, from you know the uh, you know, the the rugby websites, that, you know the people all over social media that like to potentially cause a bit of controversy. But uh, four out of ten for Farrell, which I thought was unbelievable. Really, yeah. All right, he missed a few goal kicks. Um, and I think that that is something we've mentioned and he was almost, he was renowned for his goal kicking ability for quite some time, wasn't he? And he, his goal kicking hasn't been at the level it should have been for, for quite a while now for England. Um, and had he kicked his goals, I mean, England would have been, you know, quite a few more points up mm. and he missed a, a couple of penalties in the, in the, conversion in the first half. Um, so that's a really
0: easy thing to remedy. Of
2: course, it is. It's you know, it's just, it's just one. It's just one of those things. Right? But goal kickers do go through dips in form, and Farrell is in one of those kind of troughs at, at that moment. Another criticism was of, of Van Portfleet, who said that you know, whilst whilst he did certain bits okay, Wales then targeted him under the high ball, at which he struggled. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he probably found himself underneath one once the only time Freddie Stewart wasn't underneath the high ball. I mean, yeah, the they were only game. targeting one man. Yeah, well, and exactly. Really
1: didn't I mean, work.
2: And, and let's be honest, right. If, if they were targeting that one man, it was one of the worst ploys in international rugby history because Freddie Stewart absolutely dominated every single aerial. But I mean, I think he missed one. He may have knocked one on, which yeah. was a, was a difficult one, but on the whole, he was, you know, imperious in his uh in his high ball high ball efforts um and again like we've we've mentioned it already england in general i thought were pretty good without being great but for context i don't think i've seen as bad a wales team since i don't know when now the the two young the, the two young centers were okay but they're inexperienced the husk and rotting carcass of alan wynne jones <laughs> i mean well let, let's not even go into that we've we've mentioned that more than once um the person who surprised me the most i mean fallato didn't have his best game other than he charged down farrell in the first half league, but he he wasn't his usual um dominant self around the breakdown um, the person that surprised me the most was uh, Tipperary. I just thought he was—he's out of nick, isn't he? He's really out yeah. of nick. He looked—he looked, he looked laboured. He was, you know, he—he he didn't really, you know, his breakdown work is as good at his best is as good as there is in the world, and he didn't get near it.
0: So ob- obviously, the Wales team have got this. Thing hanging over them with contracts and changing rules and regulations and the the weakening of the Gatland door that now allows Jake Ball to come back and Hadley Park Jake was it
2: Jake Ball Corey Hill and, and Hadley Park <laughs> the Hadley only Parks. three pe-
0: only three players that it affects so obviously they, they're going to be they're
2: really glad they dropped it to 25 caps <laughs> yeah
0: um but there, there's something about a team that like Gatlin's big thing, brings back Alan Wynne-Jones, brings back Falatel, brings back Tipperick. After one game, bins all three of them. And then after the next game, brings them all back. That that screams somebody who's not happy with the squad and doesn't really know, doesn't ha- hasn't got the players and the talent to achieve what he wants to achieve or feels like that. Um, and, like, I never thought I'd say this on this pod, but I'm going to credit Sam Larna here. He's, do- he's done uh, a bit of research Um and looked into passes with deception. So he's turned a pass with deception as something where there's a late tip or a pass out the back or an offload. So something just a bit different and not a straightforward pass. Um, and bearing in mind, that's not even saying they're successful. And the examples that he's clipped up on Twitter of, of four of these things from Wales uh, are the least deceptive passes out the back or late tips that Deceitful? you could possibly see. Dece- you'll be de- de- de-
1: deceptive. deceptive.
0: Deceptive. There you go. Yeah. Um, and Wales did 22 of those passes in a game. They did nine in the first half, which basically means that in attack, they are entirely predictable. And when you've got a defence that, as Ben said, has probably had three weeks of Kevin Sinfield shouting at them. Um, and properly tearing into them that are fired up and all you're doing is you're making entirely predictable passes you're not going to get anywhere unless you've got lloyd infused south africans playing for you which wales haven't um i think they're missing the trick and need to start copying scotland in that regard but it was it was just so predictable that a
2: bit like, a bit like england
0: Smith, like England well, used to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, entirely predictable, but also with a back row that's massively out of form, you're you're going to lose the ball. Um, I it, yeah, it's it's really quite shocking, and I can see Wales very easily getting beaten by Italy, and I can see them very easily going through this being nilled. and like we know how much of a farce the world rankings are. If Wales lose to Italy, they're down to thirteenth in the world. That's I mean that's...
2: that'd be that'd be delightful. But it would. Um, there was a there, there was a couple of periods, a couple of passages of play, especially the middle end of that first half on Saturday, where they did enjoy a few phases. They did, but they just seemed to completely run out of steam and ideas. And I think there was a there was a couple of turnovers, you know, maybe five meters out from the English line made one just before half time and another maybe about 30 28 30 minutes yeah after they built after they built a lot of pressure um but they just instead of instead of keeping it tight and, and going through the phases they they tried to tried to be a bit quick and they just didn't have the firepower to to get at england and and without that without that interception try They did not look like scoring at any point in that match.
0: Not not only that, the three points they got as well, the penalty that they got was entirely from the tactic that Saracens use all the time. And I'm so glad the two Saracens players got called up for it, where a player catches the ball, gets tackled really softly, and then the first two players just flop over the top of it. England gifted them all 10 points. and They didn't look like scoring a single point of their own. Yeah,
2: which is, which has got to be a real concern for Gatland. And, uh, you know, makes, makes me really, really pleasing. Um, Back back to England, though. Um, Ben, you mentioned, um, you mentioned that back three. Mm -hmm. And we talked about Stewart under the high ball, but, um, Maylands was, was very good, got involved for the, for the first, for the first try. And, um, and Watson. You know, coming back into into the fold and, and starting, what what difference do you think it makes having three solid ball players as as wingers that could all interchange in and around that that fallback position?
1: Well, I think I think with the amount of kicking you've got in rugby now, it's not it, it's not a bad idea at all. Um, Stewart's got the advantage; he's not particularly quick, but he's so big he's quite hard to bring down. Whereas Watson is probably the next best player in the air in the country, I would say. Uh, um, He has his, yes, he has his odd moment, I guess, but, you know, but he's just really quick and, and he's one player that I think the game seems to speed up when he gets the ball. Um, And then Malin's is quick as well and a good ball player. So, so they all can get themselves out of trouble as well as being good under the eyeball. ball. It's interesting.
2: Um, so, just to just to very quickly, obviously for Watson's try, you know, Ollie Hassel Collins played the first two games, right? That I don't think Ollie Hassel Collins scores that try with as with as much ease as Watson did, or has made it look as easy as Watson did.
1: Um, I mean, like I guess we'll never know, but you know, Watson's got a lot more international tries, and and it what he did make it look easy, didn't he? Um, it was just like. Get get in the corner with no fuss. Um, I just think he's, you know, despite his injury injury problems, he's he's one of our world class players. So I think if he's fit, he's just got to be in the side. Um, you know, and it, it's a nice mix because you've got, you know, all out pace there, and and he's elusive. Maidens can kind of step in as a sort of extra distributor if you need him and you can use stewart just to bash holes if you need to and, England and they did can all that. yeah
2: they did that off of first phase instead of lawrence they they used they used um stewart a couple of times once on the blind side i think straight off of nine maybe if i remember rightly and they they definitely used him in that channel instead of lawrence to create an extra man
1: yeah for sure and and, and it it'd be daft not to cuz he's so big um but you know I said to someone before the game, this is the England team I would have picked, so I can't complain if it goes wrong, but I'm quite happy it went right. And I think that back three is the three I would pick, with the one exception that I would think about, you know, it's a 50-50 between Malins and Daly for me, if Daly's fit. Um, but I think, you know, the way it's working at the moment, there's no point changing it. and And, you know, I don't think they will. No. Apart from Malins is injured. Well, yeah. But they brought Johnny May in, haven't they? Yeah, which is yeah.
0: Is the Alan Wynne Jones selection of this squad.
1: Well, as Doug as Doug pointed
0: out, we're, we're, um,
2: we're a couple of players away from ending that um starting the next World Cups with the same people that finished the last one. You know, if Johnny May comes in there's a couple of other people you mentioned, I like around Billy, Billy Villapola and, and somebody else. I think I think up. the
0: Johnny May selection is as much about who we're playing in the next game and knowing that they have real class out wide um, and real threats out wide and as much as a, a kind of defensive solution as it is a, an attacking one and a raw pace solution.
1: It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because France, France kicked quite a lot. And they, they aim to sort of push you back a little bit and and then force you into a mistake, you know, get bored and make a mistake. And uh-huh. then they've got those players like um, the two wingers. Yeah. And R- Ramos is berserk, but he does some awesome things as well. they well. Want so that broken things. field so the, space, don't so, they? They, they, so kick, it's, they
2: kick to create broken field space. Yeah,
1: so they are not going to kick it really for stu- Stewart to compete a lot of the time they're just gonna try and bore them all to death um and it it, it depends doesn't it do you want to do you want to sort of match it like for like in which case maybe you've got the, the kick chase of may or do you do you want to sort of see if you can get a mistake out of them and and then let Arundel have a go at it but it's I don't know if Johnny May is the perfect answer for either the great player that he is or was. He's a great kick I, chaser. I'm but not he, suggesting
0: the, he is the right answer.
1: The, yeah, no, I know you're not, Phil. But um, yeah, there's there's mistakes in Johnny May nowadays, isn't there? Yeah.
0: Um, top kicker in the Six Nations so far is in Tamak, in terms of number of kicks in open play. And the, the fourth highest, I think, is Ramos. Uh, which shows you how much they kick. There's no England kicker in the top
1: five. Yeah, they they just keep pushing you back into your twenty-two, and they're waiting for a bad kick or a turnover from someone trying to run it out. And
2: which which is ironic considering that during remember the uh, the Autumn Nations Cup or whatever they they called it. That's basically all England did, um, but they didn't. And, and Johnny May scored that try against yeah ireland ireland
1: wasn't it um i, th- I think that tactic to... looked a lot worse in that tournament because there was no one in the crowd yeah so... i i think this france tactic though
0: is contributing to the fact that they're not finishing games as strong as they as they have been before because they're they're kind of well their pack and their centers Spend a lot of time running twenty yards forwards, then twenty yards back, then twenty yards forwards.
2: You say you say that, but Fiku has been probably one of the players uh, of the tournament, hasn't he?
0: and he and he's probably one of the fittest players in the in the world, which which helps. Yeah. But the pack, they're they're not the fittest pack, um, and actually there's a there's a weakness there that potentially England can exploit with them down to their third choice tight head now with Antonio out injured and Huas doing the predictable red card. Um, that, that actually there's
1: potentially a weakness there in the pack that that we can look to take advantage of. I think I think that's right, but they'll probably also quite fancy our front row, especially if they get the if any of the originally picked three go off because got two old boys and a Cole has been
0: bossing it in the scrums though. <laughs> that's, all, that's all. he does. But Cole, yeah, Cole, Cole is like. Gareth Bilkey circa 2015. <laughs> I he think you can, can scrummage anyone off the ball, but don't expect them to walk.
1: I think Dupont might be looking at it, looking for him in open play after about 70 minutes. I would imagine, but yeah. um, I d- I don't know. I I think France have looked beatable, which they didn't for much of last year. Um, you know, to be honest, if France play like they did against Ireland, then I don't hold a, a lot of hope for England. But the other two games, they've not been quite as impressive.
2: No, no, they haven't. And they have allowed... The one thing France will allow, they will allow opportunity. And they, you can get at them defensively. For all of Sean Edwards' great work, you can accumulate points against France. The problem is, is finding a way to stop them. They're like the Kevin Keegan of yeah. international rugby. You know, the, the that is
1: damned with faint phrase, isn't it?
2: Yeah, like the 95 96 Newcastle team. Oh, not
1: the 2000 England team. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, 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 no.
2: No, definitely not.
1: Uh, DuPont, the Phil Neville of rugby.
2: <laughs> oh, there's the podcast title for this evening, anyway. Um, yeah, so you know, we'll be interesting to see the the person that, that I've been very impressed with and who's made a difference, not only at the breakdown, but in the way England have approached their set pieces, Jack Willis, the, the line out peels, the way that England have varied their line out, which has been a bit of an Achilles heel recently, um, has seemed to have, to have started to fire a little bit. Um, Chesham and Otoji are starting to form a decent partnership, although it was good to see Laws back um, at the weekend. And we start, we're we again starting to have lots and lots of options. Um, what do you feel, as, as a bit of an expert in this area, who do you see as our, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to call it a back five rather than a tight five, and a back row who do you see as our most prominent and most efficient back five moving forward you know, from what we've seen so far in this tournament?
0: Well, I think as much as he might not be hitting the heights that he was hitting previously, you can't really look anywhere further than Natoji as a as a kind of nailed on in that first place, and similarly, chesham has been absolutely phenomenal, so when you consider that. You've, you've then got to look at, um, Ludlam has been standout player of the pack for me, uh, and he's got to be there in the team either at six or eight. Willis, as you say, is a point of difference and a massive point of difference. Um, so he needs to be included. And I suppose the question is then, how do you get that balance right once you've got the two of them in there? There's a there's an option if you're playing somewhere where you want a bit more mobility of looking at a Curry-Willis-Ludlam option with Ludlam playing at eight. Or if you're wanting something that's a bit more kind of traditional back row to go, um, to go, uh, Ludlam, Willis, Dombrant, or equally like Courtney Laws on form is, is absolutely phenomenal. So do you go Laws, Willis, Ludlam? And I think any of them are, are viable options. And that's, that's the great thing about where we are. If you roll the clock back to, to kind of early Eddie Jones days we picked um Robshaw, Haskell Billy for every game because there really wasn't significant amounts of of opportunities and challenge around that then we've landed ourselves in situations where we nail our colors to the mast that this is what we're playing I'd I'd like to see him play around with a few combinations there and just see how how relationships work but to me it's really nice to see laddum getting a run in the team because I I've been a big advocate of him for the last three or four years and he's, he's really deserving his place oh, in there. He, he carries well, he tackles well. He's a new so, on the ground. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, a whole pitch back row player. He
2: is, he absolutely is. And you know what impresses me most about Ludlam, Um versus a direct comparison with, with Alex Dombram is the hard yards carry, the carrying contact, the, the, the leg drive, the pumping, you know, he he makes two or three meters to get that go forward out of nowhere. Almost from a standing start. Or, you know, he he's got that that ability. What I don't see often enough from Don Brandt is that sort of carry. You know, where he's he's Don Brandt's often carry, if 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 he's not coming on it at pace on you know, the, the twelve line, I think we discussed this the other week. If he's not attacking that ball in a in a big highlight carry, he tends to take contact and go to ground.
0: So I think if you if you get Don Brandt at sixteen seventeen as a Colts coach, you look at him and you go, I want you to play twelve. Um, and obviously he's been playing eight all the time. His his pass to Watson made Watson's try and look considerably yeah, easier it than it lovely. potentially could have been. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't bring that hard carrying that sometimes you need to tie people in. He's more about running off shoulders, running at gaps than he is doing those hard carries. So if you play Dombrant, what you can't do is play Dombrant and then play two, two kind of real ground men who aren't going to do the hard carrying work. You couldn't yeah. play, say, Curry Willis Dombrant. It wouldn't yeah. work. No,
2: and it, um, I think I think it pretty much hasn't worked. If no. we've had Curry underhill donbrant or curry underhill billy for instance um which is why i think ludlum potentially could be a very good sort of starting eight option for england and using donbrant's skill set to come on if you if you imagine bringing donbrant and smith on for ludlum and or, or for Willis, let's, let's, let's say Willis, right? Let's say Willis and Farrell go off after 60 minutes and you've got Don Brandt coming on at eight with Smith coming on at 10 while still having Lawrence carrying, whilst having the option to go to Slade or, and or another 13, you know, that that would petrify defensive more, I think, than than Don Brandt maybe starting.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I, I think the point is, is the same for Smith as well, but we're all aware that only works if Farrell goes off.
2: Yeah. 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 And that has um, to be, that has to be the change.
0: But no, I think you're right that a lot of teams, I think pretty much every team in the six nations did a six, two split. or no, they didn't. England did a five, three, but there was a lot of six, two splits about, um, and the reason that is, is because even with a 6-2 split, that means two of your forwards have got to do 80 minutes, which means for Smith and Don Brandt with fresh legs, there's two weak spots and all they've got to do is find them.
2: And I, I don't think... Sorry, Ben, were you going to jump in there?
1: I think I think Ludlam's been outstanding, but I think he's just a six, a six to his fingertips. I'm not saying he's just a six. I think he'd do a good job at eight. Yeah. I think he's... I think he's a six to his fingertips. And I think while he's playing so well, just leave him as he is. Leave him at six. I think, kind of almost said it a couple of weeks ago, but for this tournament, I think now Itoje and Chessum both play really well. Leave him as they are. Ludlam he's nailed down six now for for a, a decent period. I think Laws is just back from injury. So it's perfect to have him on the bench to cover both to a really high standard. And I think Don Brandt has got to now just, just persevere with him against two really good sides, see how he gets on. And I'll, I'm going to bore everyone with this for the next six months, but you've got Mercer to come. When, as soon as he's eligible, yeah. you've you've got a, a real option there at eight. So I think we need to find out what we've got in Don Brandt. And then if, if, as you say, he's a great option off the bench, you've, you've still got that option in the future. In an ideal world, you've got you've got those
2: two World Cup class players in every position. And if you've got, you know, Ludlam and Laws, you've got Itoje and Chesham and Slash Laws. You've got Curry and Willis, who can both play six, can both play seven to a very high standard. You've got Don Brandt and Mercer. Then we're looking at Van Poorfleet and you know who hopefully will grow. Mitchell will grow. You know, they're not world class nines yet, but they're getting there. Then we've got Ford, Farrell, um, and Smith. We then had Lawrence. If we can find another we can find another twelve, all of a sudden things start to become apart from rosy.
1: Apart from up front.
2: Yeah, front front row is a real concern.
1: If you've got laws on your bench, you can also you can have maybe a luxury back rower there so you could i mean what what if you would had Lud, ludlum willis and mercer and then you took you just let ludlum empty the tank for 60 minutes and then put don brandt on at eight and put mercer six i mean God.
0: i'm not sure his tank empties i've i've seen him play so many games for northampton and and he's starting to demonstrate it with England where in the seventy-fifth minute he's doing stuff as well as he oh, does yeah. in the first.
1: But um, you know, or, or, or Willis, you know, but you know, that's that could be another option as well. I, but
0: I think I think Mercer's shafted his bank balance though, coming back to, to play for Gloucester when Borthwick's <laughs> talking about binning the overseas rule. <laughs> so that so that he can keep keep Willis playing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean that's that's a real that's a real kind of real shame, isn't it? that that's going to be that's going to be a choice but he's still only young and you know what like we talk about we talk about i mean how old's mercer coming back ben
1: um i mean he's, he's, he's must got to be only
2: 26 27 i
1: he? was gonna say 26 i'm, I'm just gonna google it rather now, than i
2: guess now if you're a back row if you're a back row player maybe even you know even saying a
1: 20, 26th in june so he's
2: twenty six So, 26 he's, 25. In June. so, he's, so yeah. he's coming. So he's twenty five, having played you know, obviously a few years for Bath, gone away playing two, three years in France, developing physically, coming back as a number eight in what you would probably say is his absolute prime years, twenty six to thirty, as a number eight.
0: Yeah, probably, exactly.
2: probably to thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. But but he's so. But but not only has he developed physically, he's learnt. He's learnt his game. He's understanding his craft. How how many times have we criticised England these young English players for for not maybe taking those chances, for not maybe going to test themselves elsewhere, and for all of his faults, right? Where James James Haskell took himself. To um, He played for Stavron Say, didn't he? He played in Japan. He played for the Highlanders. Highlanders. And when he came back to play for England, he was an infinitely better back row and an infinitely better rugby player for those experiences. I've absolutely no doubt. So, exactly the
0: same with Martin Johnson. Martin yes. Johnson went and played in New Zealand for two seasons and came back three times the player. So,
2: so I'm all for. i I'm actually all for. right? At the end of this World Cup cycle... Like, let's bear in mind, if he's staying, um, Willis is staying in France for two years. If he does two years ahead of the 2027 World Cup, he could come back. He could play two years in France, come back in 2020, start the 25-26 season for wherever he goes and be an absolute phenomenon.
0: Um, Because Willis is
2: only, what, 23-24?
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And he could probably go and play a bit of super rugby in between as well. well absolutely. Or the end yeah. of the season. Um, we, England need to be careful with Zach Mercer, though, because later this year he becomes Scotland eligible and they'll snap him up quickly. Well, what? yeah. Five five years since he last played for England.
2: I can't see. I mean, you'd, you'd hopefully that, that wouldn't happen. You'd think that that would be very much on Balfwick's radar, wouldn't you? And as soon as he's back in the country and, and eligible, that... um that that would very much be something that's top, top of his agenda.
1: So yeah, you'd hope he's spoken to him already.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Right. Uh, Any other, any other rugby, uh, any other rugby related stuff? I see that Leicester have got a new head coach this evening. Don't care. (laughs) No, good.
0: Um, Just quick word on Italy. They are, so close to being a really, really good side, just like that. I saw bits of the game that they were playing. I didn't see see all of it. Um, I listened to it, and by God, never listen to Irish commentary on rugby because it is <laughs> the most biased thing ever. Um, but they, yeah, they've they've added a bit of grittiness and, and dog to their defence, and they've obviously got a. a shit ton full of flair in the in the backs and give it another season or so if they carry on on this trajectory they will they will not be also runs in the six nations they'll be they'll have a decent chance of turning over any side
2: they were good in stages against against england the other week um, it's just
0: stringing it together
2: yeah and and that consistency comes with time and they and coaching and in general, they are getting much better. They've, they've got a crop of of very good young players. I mean, the likes of, of Ruzza and, um, uh, the fullback whose name escapes me, Ange Capucci
1: Caputso. Yeah.
2: I mean, he is world class. He's electric.
1: Yeah. He's injured though, isn't he?
2: Yeah. But he makes, he makes things happen for them, doesn't he? He really does. Where they lack, where, where Italy lack is depth that I mean that's that's a fact
1: they they seem to struggle a bit at scrum half don't they um there's a couple of mistakes in varney every okay. game um if Garbisi's injured then they're struggling at ten as well so um, Allen's
2: decent enough
1: i mean yeah it's... he's he's workman like isn't he yeah. um and then you know, the centres have played pretty well. They've got a bit more sort of creativity to them than, than the Italian... Italy, Italy used to quite often have just two sort of roadblocks at 12 yeah. and 13, didn't they? Um, well, they the start now really starting
2: to offer offer a bit in attack. Yeah, they've got a huge to... amount of
1: back row options, but it's just, it's just get it all together for 80 minutes, isn't it? But to be honest, I think if England had had to go to Rome, I would have been really worried about that fixture. Because yeah. I think until Italy beat england they're gonna have trouble beating england if you see what i mean yeah they've beaten and it's france happen so, one so, day, yeah of course it, it will but they, they've beaten france already so they th- there seems to be more belief there when they play france than there is with england especially at twickenham um but you know i mean this time last year we, people were ready to get rid of them weren't they but since they beat um beat wales perhaps for the first out of two times we're thinking um you know that that must have meant the world to them and they've really kicked on
2: yeah def- definitely definitely um any other rugby related stuff from you two before we uh let to wrap it up
1: i mean we didn't really i mean we didn't meet up after the last round of games but ireland france was absolutely fantastic you know I know we don't like to admit it sometimes, but that was that was just a brilliant game.
2: Two and... best teams, a classic yeah. test match, had a I, bit of everything. I,
1: I can't see much stopping Ireland now for this for the Grand Slam. No. The, the counter-argument to
0: that is I wasted 60 minutes watching Bath-Bristol on Friday night, <laughs> which is one of the worst games of rugby I've ever the, seen.
2: The one thing I will say about a potential Ireland Grand Slam is that there is nothing better than, you know, less than 12 months out seeing Ireland reach their absolute peak, <laughs> only for them to shit the bed in the World Cup. Like, it's... Well, I've probably seen it three times previous, and it's... Uh, you know, I can't they, wait for it to happen again.
1: It's They're in the group with Scotland and South Africa, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy, and, is it?
2: No, it's not. And that's a... I mean... You know, of all the groups, that's probably the the hardest to call, especially the way that Scotland are playing.
1: So they're going to Scotland, not next Sunday, but, you know, the, the next Sunday fixture. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll see what that's like. I don't know. Keenan's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and, you know, their back row at the moment. I mean,
2: their entire pack to to a certain extent. I
1: mean, Doris, I'm sold. And um, but I'm I'm not convinced
0: that if the large quantities of glue and masking tape fall off Johnny
1: Sexton, <laughs> that that yeah, they're half the side that they that's, are with him. That's that's the big um, that's the big question, isn't it? Because the I forget the I forget his name. He, he was he came on at a scrum half against France. Um, his name was I think it might be Casey, right? And he was he was excellent when he came on. He really made a difference because obviously um, the starting scrum half is is injured at the moment. So Murray was playing, and Murray was playing pretty well. Yeah. But he came on and really, really but just. Craig Casey started
2: started on Saturday against Ireland. Yeah,
1: I, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about in the France game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, So he he came on and really made a difference. Um, you know, but uh, so that they've got a bit more depth there. But yeah, fly half. You know, as good as the uh, burn that came on has done, it's it's a, it's definitely a step down, and it it hit their confidence for sure.
2: They've got. I mean, again, they're, they're, they've they've got some injuries through this tournament. Obviously, no mm. furlong, no Healy, no um,
0: no Beadam now. So do. Tom O'Toole would be, would be their fair. their first choice tighthead. Again, they're down to their third choice tighthead.
2: But they just they just seem to be just churning out this
1: depth. Of- it, do, do you remember when? Do you remember the year England won the World Cup? They. In the six nations, they were down to sort of fourth or fifth choice props at one stage. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that proves anything or not, but it, it it if you can if you can carry it off and keep going through, then then when your first choices come back, it's an even better sign, isn't it?
2: Well, it just increases the depth, isn't it? It gives those mm-hmm. people those players experience, it shows them, you know, which uh which always helps with um, state-funded rugby doping. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, that, that's Ireland. Best best of luck to them. Not uh, right. Let, let's move on. Let's uh, let's get out of here, shall we? Um, any other business, Ben? Anything from you this week?
1: Just a bit of TV. Predictably enough, Clarkson's Farm, oh, which. Right it's just brilliant it's such a good watch i mean i think a lot of farmers i've heard them say he's done more for farming in this country than in two years than countryfile have done in 25 (laughs) um but you know it's very much like top gear you you do learn a lot and it shows how difficult life is for farmers and there's, there's, there's serious bits in it but it's also very funny so much as um Clarkson can be a parody of himself I think when he tries to make something that is informative he's he's brilliant at it um so if you haven't seen it I would recommend it
0: you, you can see in the last episode how um some of the situations he's got himself into happen because he was getting properly riled well, yes he was like on on the verge of properly losing it and went, I'm taking myself off before something happens it shouldn't
1: there's there's so many sort of very familiar things in it and 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 for all that some of it is probably either recreated or or staged like there's a bit where um they fail a health test and Caleb is sidekick the guy isn't a good enough actor to look that worried (laughs) if he wasn't genuinely worried um so you know there is a lot of truth to it as well and um it's thoroughly enjoyable
2: excellent Phil, anything from you?
1: Uh, yeah,
0: so there's been one thing that's dominated my life for the last seven days, and that's the fact that um, my wife had cruciate reconstruction last Tuesday. Cruciate reconstruction, meniscal, tidy up um, and tagging down what's left of her meniscus. Uh, and like I love having a really active wife until she can't be active. <laughs> <laughs> trying to have that whilst trying to do work is it's been challenging. Um but she's on the mend now. Um and I suppose my the moral of the story is if you get injured, get it sorted quickly, don't wait until it's a proper major job to get it done. Um but yeah, hopefully we're on the road to recovery now.
2: Excellent. Get well soon, Mrs. Uh, Farm Vet. Um I don't really have too much this week, so I will give a well a bit of a TV recommendation. Uh, probably a hashtag late review. Um, Yellowstone, that I've started watching on Paramount, which is absolutely awesome. Some of the best drama TV series I've watched in uh, in a long time. So if you've not tried it yet, get on, uh, get on the Yellowstone. It's very good. Also, something on, um, on Dave, which I think it was on BBC for a little while is uh world's most dangerous roads have you seen it where they have two comedians just driving the random roads around the world and it and there was it was the one i watched the other week was um keith lemon and will meller driving (laughs) around some it was just but it was random but it was very very funny so uh if you get the chance check out check out some of those world's most dangerous roads um With it being a fallow week, it's unlikely that we'll be back next week. So uh, we'll probably catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time um, with details and opinions on uh, England-France. And uh, we'll see where we go from there. So uh, we'll see you all very soon. Go well.